in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Redacted. No, I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkova. Yeah, today we're going to talk a little bit more about the NSA and the uh, the data collection that it's been uh, participating in, and uh, and exactly what is that? How does that apply to you? Whether you're an American citizen or someone living abroad, what exactly is going on? And and specifically, what all this prism hubbub is about? Should we be concerned? Spoiler: Yes. Um, <laughs> Concerned at least to, it's always good to educate yourself as much as right. you possibly can when you're talking about classified information that is being withheld from people. But, uh, let's, let's start with talking about a personality, someone who has been identified as being the very center of this controversy, the man who leaked the information to the press. That, that Edward, let us know about, about prison period. Right. Yes. Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden. Formerly a technical contractor for the NSA. I am assuming they have terminated that employment. <laughs> well, he was okay. So, so he is thirty years old right now. As of this podcast, he was twenty nine when he leaked this information, which which seems terrifically young for being a, a whistleblower yeah. on one of the largest intelligence gathering entities in the world. Some That's, some might even go so far as to suggest that he has he has effectively, at least as far as the United States is concerned, thrown the rest of his life away. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, in other words, there were some major consequences to his actions. And so that says something. Um, right. Well, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of different points of view on 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 him and what he's done. Yes. Um, but uh, who is this guy? I wanted to say a little bit about him since sure. all of this stuff has been swirling around. Um, yeah. So so he got his GED enlisted in the army in 2003. Um, was was discharged after breaking his legs in a special forces training exercise. Wow. Yeah. So. Trained for special forces, um, then uh, worked at the NSA as a security guard and then IT security right. in the CIA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, he, so, so he, crossed, he's, he's, he crossed departments. He's crossed streams. In 2007, the CIA sent him on assignment to Geneva, Switzerland. Um, and then later he signed with defense contractor um, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. Okay. Um, f- as a, uh, a, a sysadmin. I see. Right, right, right. So it turned out that he had had... Uh, an ability with computers. So it was because when you think about it, like he started off like a security guard and now he's uh, overseeing actual uh, information systems. Oh, right, right. Like like six figure salary. Like yeah. pretty, pretty important dude stuff. for yeah. this contractor. Um, uh, he was he was working on an NSA contract out in Hawaii under under Booz Allen Hamilton um, when he copied certain classified documents and removed them entirely from his office before telling his bosses, hey, I need some vacation. I, he specifically told them that he needed leave in order to undergo epilepsy treatments. Wow. And then flew to Hong Kong and contacted the press with all the stuff that we're going to be talking about in a minute. Right. And there's still quite a bit of controversy about him. Uh, there are people who consider him to be a whistleblower and uh, and someone who has the interests of the American public at heart. There are others who go so far as to say that he's a traitor um, and they're People who say that <clears throat> maybe traitor's the wrong word, but he certainly has put a lot of people at risk by revealing information that was supposed to be secret. So uh, there's a there's a lot of different views on this, and we're not gonna really tr- we're trying not to lay down on one side or the other, right? But um, 
we we you'll probably get a little hint of our own personal beliefs, and, but yes. we don't we don't mean to push them on anyone. Absolutely, no. This is this is you know it's it's as as people who talk, we do have opinions. But yes. um, in fact, we're not even sure. The crazy thing is exactly what he has leaked to the press. Um, we we know that there was a forty-one slide PowerPoint presentation, right? Um, about a program called Prism. About a program called Prism. Um, and there's that's basically what we know. That, yeah, there's <laughs> that's, that. That's all we're sure of. And there was some some information about uh, a phone program as well because Prism Prism really was mainly about uh, internet communication but there's also this element about phone records uh, there was a, a about the the NSA has access to information I think it's something like seven years worth of information of Verizon customers phone information um, that's a lot of info. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just saying that we're not exactly sure what documents yeah. exist and, and where this information has come from overall, aside from this one PowerPoint presentation, which uh, are the House of Works article about this, uh, pointed out that, um, that this proves that yes, international security is just as boring as your job. Yeah. Super spies, PowerPoint. I, I've also seen quite a few people who took the PowerPoint presentation and then, uh, distilled it down to something like, 12 slides and said that, you know, they obviously need some, uh, <laughs> some, some classes on PowerPoint, uh, uh design. And, uh, in my thought is like, wow, I, I'm glad you're able to, to take a step back and, and critique. Make a little bit of a joke. Yeah. As opposed um, to, uh, freaking out. But um, so, okay. To, to catch us up on the climate and overall politics of, of what has led to all of this mess. 2001, NSA came under direct fire for failing to catch the plot of the uh, uh, World Trade Center attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and subsequently, the uh, USA Patriot Act was signed by George W. Bush with bipartisan congressional support. Right. Now, this was the act that gave the government much broader uh, capabilities when it came to surveillance and detecting potential terrorist a- acts. Um, and... Some would argue, in fact, many have argued that it ended up uh, uh, violating at least some freedoms of American citizens in the process. Sure. Um, in 2002, and we didn't actually find out about this, the, the American public or the public at large did not find out about this until 2005, uh, George W. signed an executive order that specifically authorized the NSA to um, to monitor international emails and phone calls from people inside the U.S. Yeah. That was skipping the part where the special court outlined in FISA is supposed to review each case. Right. And we'll talk more about FISA in a bit. But yeah, so this is essentially giving even more broad uh, powers to... to right. uh, when, when, when the New York Times leaked this information, um, the officials maintained that they were still requiring the NSA to obtain warrants for entirely domestic communications. Right. <laughs> Um, this is where it gets complicated because, again, we talked about in our last podcast about how a foreign agent can be someone who is not a, an American citizen, who's not in the United States. And then a lot of these protections that we're talking about don't apply because the protections that we mostly talk American about citizens. American citizens. That's what the Constitution is covering. You know, we can't really cover the freedoms of people in other nations because that's not the role of one go- a government to say for another. Uh, you know, that, that kind of falls more on the other governments as well as the United Nations and some other organizations. So, uh, but when it comes to American citizens, there's supposed to be certain rules that we follow. This was an example of expanding those rules. All right. So 
2005, that's when the New York Times ends up publishing this information. Right. Uh, also in 2005, that was when the NSA created U.S. Cyber Command, which is that um, network warfare unit uh, designed to specifically protect uh, against terrorist data and network threats. Right. 2006, an interesting note, um, We uh, it, it was revealed by a former AT&T technician that... Um, that the company had allowed the NSA to install a computer at its San Francisco switching center, which happens to be a key hub for fiber optic cables. Yeah, uh, this was where we learned about the the secret rooms, right? So right. This is where, uh, and we'll we'll probably mention this again later on, but this is where the we we learned about the NSA creating special rooms in various carriers, whether they are phone carriers or. Uh, tele- beyond telecommunications all the way through uh, Internet carriers, that they were putting in these special secret rooms that would allow them access. Anyone who had the NSA clearance could gain access to it, but otherwise you could not go in there. So in other words, an AT&T employee, if that AT&T employee did not have special uh, access granted by the NSA, they could not go into this room even though it was within AT&T. Uh, this was what was allowing the NSA to uh, to intercept information without having to actually go to AT&T and say, hey, hey, I want this thing. Yeah, there, here's Please a list. Here's me. a list of the stuff that we have been authorized to ask for. Give it to us. Now they don't have to go for the authorization because they just have this special room. All they have to do is show up and go into the special room and then they and run collect the, data. And, and I'll talk more about how they collect their data and the kind of queries they are running and also the sort of mental gymnastics you need to do in order to understand how they look at this as not being uh, not falling under that Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable search and seizure. If you remember from our last podcast, we taught that's central to a lot of the arguments against what is going on with the NSA is the idea that uh, under the Constitution, we have this Fourth Amendment right that protects us from unreasonable search and seizure. And the government is supposed to have at least uh, they're supposed to be have uh, authorization and evidence before they can go and search you uh, as an American citizen. Uh, again, this applies to American citizens. And it gets complicated again when we talk about foreign agents who could be American citizens. That then you have uh, or, this, or an American citizen who's talking to a foreign agent. Right. That also through that American also communication lines. Yep. Yeah, really. It's, oh, it's so sticky. Um, and, 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 and again, all of this is stuff that we already knew about. None of this is, is new. None of this was leaked by Edward Snowden. Snowden. Yeah. This was stuff that had been revealed over the years through various means. Sometimes they were things that were just met part of law. Mm-hmm. So if you just read the law, you would understand it. Mm-hmm. Some of this was stuff that wasn't laid out in the law, but was later uncovered by various, well, newspapers, things like mm-hmm. New York Times, Washington sure. Post, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the next big one was in 2007. That was the um, Protect America Act uh, signed into law by George W. Bush. Yep. Um, this this was this basically allowed um, the attorney general and the director of national intelligence, who we we, we talked about that role in the first podcast, mm-hmm. um, to explain in a classified document how the U.S. would be collecting intelligence on for- foreigners overseas over the course of the next year. Right. And it it's also known as Title Seven. Um, so that's the other name for this. If you've ever heard Title Seven, that's referring to the Protect America Act of two thousand seven. Right. Um and, and the important part about this is that um it does not require 
them to name specific targets or places. Yeah, they don't. You don't even. Yeah, you don't have to do that, which means you don't need a warrant. Obviously, if you if you don't have to name the specific targets or places, then clearly the warrant is not right. You, I mean, how, how would you get a warrant if you just said someone somewhere is doing something? Let me look in on that. That's so. So essentially, this is the warrantless wiretapping portion of law. If you've ever heard about that, about warrantless wiretaps. That's where this comes from. And it was supposed to just focus on, like you said, foreign intelligence, right? It's uh, And only if the targets were reasonably believed to be outside the U.S. Now, what counts for reasonable believability? I don't know, because they're not telling me. So, I mean, a lot of these terms are vaguely defined, and many of them are vaguely defined for a reason. It's to give as much flexibility as possible. Right. Uh, if you're being less charitable, it's to to <laughs> to be as draconian as possible. Uh, I'm I wouldn't go that far. I'm I'm thinking of the sense that I want the flexibility. Uh, and if there ever were a point where we defined it, it would likely be in a court case. Like you would bring something to court, and the court would decide whether or not it met some criteria for reasonable believability. But that also will get into a little bit more of a discussion when we talk about the NSA and uh, and and what their threshold is for believing someone to not be an American citizen before they start collecting all the data on them. So anyway, 2007 was the Protect America Act. Uh, what's, what happens in 2008? Well, okay. Um, so the Protect America Act technically expired early in 2008 mm. um, and was um, subsumed by, if I didn't just make that word up, <laughs> by, the, um, by the 2008 uh, FISA Amendments Act. Right, that's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which was originally uh, enacted into law in 1978. Now, these amendments changed that act, right? Right. I mean, that, they obviously, they amended it. Now, the original FISA Act was there to try and put down specific rules when it comes to foreign surveillance. And it, it set down a lot of different restrictions that the government had to obey in order to do this in a way that was seen as responsible and accountable. The amendments started to loosen some of those restrictions to give the intelligence communities more freedom to pursue surveillance in an effort to uh, counteract any sort of uh, any sort of anything that would uh, endanger national security. Right. Specifically, this included uh, one that you might an, an amendment that you might have heard of um, in the news, which is FISA Section 702. Which basically, uh, okay, so, so according to the Director of National Intelligence, it facilitates the targeted acquisition of foreign intelligence information concerning foreign targets located outside the United States under court oversight. Sounds pretty, uh, sounds pretty on the up and up. Sure. Court, court oversight. It's only targeting foreign targets, only foreign targets that are outside the United States. That doesn't sound like it's too, too bad as far as, uh, encroaching upon American citizens' rights? Well, the problem is that, uh, according to the Washington Post, anyway, um, mm. uh, according to two documents that they have since uncovered, um, the, their analysts only have to have a 51% certainty rate. Say what? So, so that they someone just is to, foreign. That someone is not of a uh, American citizen. Right. Right. Or not in America, even. Yeah, there's a 51% certainty that they have to meet. So, in other words, coin flip plus one. <laughs> And if you watch Don't Be Dumb, it might just be a coin flip, depending upon the coin. You you know the one I'm talking about, though, I do, right? Yeah, I do. They, like because the way certain coins are made, they mm-hmm. do actually flip on one side a little more than the other. Fifty-one percent. This is uh that's that's all they have to do. They have to feel a little bit better than a coin flip situation that a person is in fact 
of uh, foreign nationality, not an American citizen, for them to move forward, which seems pretty low to me. Also, uh, again, according to the Washington Post, they have training materials that advise new analysts that, quote, it's nothing to worry about, end quote, if they accidentally collect U.S. content. Right. Don't worry. We we know what we're doing. We won't do anything irresponsible. We We promise we won't look at it. There's going to be editorializing at the end of this episode, by the way, folks. Uh, and, and I'm just <laughs> warning you now because I do have something to say about just, just the dangers of pursuing this kind of line of thought, uh, without, without questioning it. I'm not saying that everything that's been done is bad, but I am saying that you've got to question the, things. The collective sum may or may not yeah. be terrible. So anyway, all right. So, so let's pick up with FISA here. Now, th- this is still stuff that we knew about before Snowden's uh, information leak. Right. So FISA created, uh, there's the FISA court. Now, the FISA court oversees these requests that are, are sent in to uh, to pursue surveillance over foreign targets. Keeping in mind, this is still not for American citizens. It's for foreign targets. The FISA court is a secret court. If you listen to our last podcast, you heard us talk about it a little bit. Its hearings are in secret. Its findings are in secret. There are 11 court members. Those 11 court members are appointed by the Supreme Court Chief Justice, and there is no, um, there's no process there to approve of those appointments. That's the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice just has final say, which some have argued means that it creates a court that doesn't have diversity in it. Because you only have one person, and that person may end up uh, completely filling that court with people that 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 follow that same person's philosophy, the Supreme Court Chief Justice's philosophy. Uh, so there's that argument as well. Um, also, whenever they do serve out any kind of warrant or order, if you've listened to our last episode, you know there's a gag order involved with that, which means that the recipient cannot acknowledge the fact that they received this. They can't talk about it. They can't reveal it. Which may explain why some of the companies that were revealed within that presentation that Lauren alluded to at the top of the show, uh, when they were approached about this, they said, we they don't said, know, no. we don't know anything about this. Well, there are two, two possibilities. One is that they actually don't know about it and that the, the way that the NSA is gathering information actually circumvents their internal Workings. That's possible. Right, right. Either either they were they were completely unaware of it, as they said, or they are under a gag order and cannot say. Yeah. So either way, we we can't know for sure unless someone from those companies comes out and leaks that information. But either way, they they disowned any knowledge of this. Uh, Going on to the the what the what FISA can do, they define foreign powers as any foreign government or component of a foreign government, whether or not officially recognized by the United States. In other words, there could be governments out there that the government is claiming that they oversee a sovereign nation, but the United States has not officially recognized that as a sovereign nation. Under FISA, that doesn't matter. They're still classified as a foreign government. Uh, they also define it as any faction of a foreign nation or nations or any foreign-based political organization that isn't substantially composed of United States persons. Uh, faction and substantially not defined. So don't really know what would meet that criteria. Maybe it's 51%. Don't know. Uh, any entity like a political organization or a business that is directed or controlled by a foreign government also is considered a foreign power. 
and any group engaged in or preparing to engage in international terrorism. Uh, that's broadly defined as activities that involve violent acts or acts dangerous to human life that are a violation of U.S. criminal laws or would be a violation if committed in the U.S., or that appear to uh, be intended to intimidate or coerce a civilian population to influence the policy of government by intimidation or coercion, or to affect the conduct of a government by assassination or kidnapping, and occur totally outside the United States or transcend national boundaries in terms of how they are accomplished. Uh, so that's the definition of foreign power as far as foreign agent is concerned. Because remember, this is really involving the communications between foreign powers and foreign agents. Foreign agent is defined under FISA as anyone that is not a U.S. person who is an officer or employee of a foreign power, anyone that is not a U.S. person who engages in, quote-unquote, clandestine intelligence activities, also known as spying, uh, in the United States on behalf of a foreign power, or any U.S. person that does the same and may be violating the law. That's an important uh, distinction there. U.S. person who is also not only acting as a foreign agent, but also violating the law. So if you're not a U.S. person, you don't have to be suspected of a crime. You you just have to be foreign. That's that's <laughs> all you have to be. If you are a U.S. person, then you have to uh, be suspected of a crime on top of being a foreign agent. And anyone, whether a U.S. person or not, who engages in or prepares for acts of international terrorism or sabotage is also defined as an agent of foreign power under FISA. So that's what is really the concern here. That's the NSA says that they are only interested in these communications between foreign powers and foreign agents. Any other information that they gather that happens to be about American citizens is completely coincidental. It has nothing to do with what they are interested in. And you should just stop worrying. And so that is the the body of the law as as we have known it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there are a little bit of extra bits here and there that only came to light uh, when when Snowden leaked some information. But we will talk about that in the second half of the show. And uh, right now we should uh, take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Sounds good to me. Let's take that break. All right. So we're back. So when we left off, it was just before we started learning about the additional information that was leaked by Snowden. And um, you had something about, you know, we mentioned in that last that last half that you know, if any American citizen information is collected, that's okay. Yeah, well, okay. So so part, part of what we found out, thanks to Snowden, is that on July 29th, 2009, um, guidelines were approved by the, the secret FISA court and also Attorney General Eric Holder um, that, that although the NSA is required to um, minimize the collection of data from U.S. citizens, um any inadvertently acquired domestic communications can be kept under certain circumstances with no warrant for up to five years. Yeah, that's um, that's a big question mark there, right? I mean, that definitely sounds like without a warrant. So already uh, that seems to violate the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. I'm sure there are other arguments against that. Well, but it's, it's it's under certain <clears throat> circumstances. Which, and, but uh, again, unless that's unless we get the full definition of what those circumstances are, then it's hard to say. But. So so far, it seems to be that that um, if the communications are encrypted and or reasonably believed to contain evidence of a crime that has been, is being, or is about to be committed, 
um, or if the communications are reasonably believed to contain um, uh, technical information um, about cybersecurity. See, and, and this is another one of those things where the... the Reasonable the, belief right. is the moi. Yeah, how do we define that? Yeah. And, and uh, again, a lot of these these more or less vague words, like reasonable, um, a lot of these things are things that only get defined when we challenge stuff in court in the United States. That's how we end up getting focus on a lot of our laws is that, you know, the laws will be written in such a way, sometimes on purpose and sometimes not on purpose, but, you know, written in such a way as to be a little vague. Mm-hmm. And then in court cases, that's when the judges have to decide how, how does this law actually apply? What is the, the practical application of it? And that might be the case with these. Right. Um, in the meanwhile, le- leading up to this leak, uh, between 2011 and 2012, the NSA hired uh, 3,500 new employees, um, mostly in uh, uh, comp science, uh, engineering, and intelligence analysis. Which makes sense. I mean, that their their focus is on intercepting and decrypting uh, electronic communications. But well, it's, communications it's, in general, but electronic in particular. And, and especially since it's, you know, yes, becoming more and more electronic, it, it makes it makes sense. But it's also like that, that's a lot of employees yeah. during a time of economic downturn. I do foresee a time where because of the dangers associated now of electronic communication being intercepted and eventually decrypted, that we will move to a more Raven based communication system, a la Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. I'm, I'm glad that you're just working that in everywhere you can. Yep. Um, in December of 2012, um, Obama and Congress extended the uh, 2008 FISA Amendments Act for another five years. Right. That was that was on the up and up. That was that was things what people knew about. Yeah. Yeah. So this wasn't like some sort of secret court meeting nope. or whatever. But again, unless you had actually been paying attention to what the FISA Amendments Act, what what that entailed, then you might not, you know, you, you might not have been aware of it. I don't think I was aware of it. I, yeah. I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't. Yeah. But then I'm not a very politically aware person in general. Yeah. Um, in April of 2013, another one of those things that we found out from Snowden, um, the FISA court ordered Verizon to provide a whole bunch of information about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, millions of calls from millions of customers, both within and without the United States. Right. Now, this was all metadata, which I, I'll talk more about later. But metadata, just in, in general, is information about information. So in this case, the the order for Verizon was to give all this information about calls, like the duration of the call, the time it was made, what kind of hardware right. was being used. The content of the call was not in question. Right. So you could not. This wasn't for Verizon to hand over records of actual like what was actually being said Said. in the phone call it was just everything else however that being said there are a lot of examples that people have shown about how just getting the metadata gives you a lot of information about what was going on just based upon the time the location although i should also say that uh geospatial information in general has been left out according to what the nsa has said that they did not Collect uh, collect uh, GPS information or anything like that. At least that's what they've said. Uh, but but it, just knowing when someone called, how long the conversation was, who they were calling, they can give you a lot of information about people. Oh sure, about about movement and right what's going on. Um, yeah. Okay, and so so this next point in the timeline is is where everything kind of dovetails because on June sixth, the twenty thirteen, uh, the Guardian and the Washington Post published reports based on Snowden's leaked slides. Right. 
we didn't know that it was Edward Snowden yet, actually. No, no. Um, that was not for another couple of days. But, you know, yeah, th- that's when we got that, that 41 slide PowerPoint presentation. And, um, yeah, or, we- or, or, or we, we, we didn't see all of it at that point, but a bunch of information about it. There was a bunch of misinformation about it, actually. Um, according to those initial reports, um, uh, it said that PRISM allowed the government to directly access the servers of, of places like Google and Microsoft and Apple. Right. Um, and, and that has been revealed to be not the case. Yeah, this was this was the companies again. The companies were allowed to at least deny certain things if they are part of this program. Like we've said before, they're under a gag order, which means they cannot acknowledge it in any way. And in fact, several of the companies have uh, have petitioned the government to allow them to talk more about what's going on, saying that more transparency would mean more trust because they're in a, they're in a terrible position, right? If they are being legally bound to participate in this program. And there's some question as to whether or not the participation uh, or the levels of participation meet or exceed requirements. Because mm-hmm. there are some companies that have been said they're not only participating, they seem to be eagerly participating. <laughs> but th- beside that, I mean, if they're bound to participate, they have to by law, but they also by law can't talk about it. Then they're put in this position where trust is starting to recede and so, from the consumer. Right. The consumers are all thinking, well, I don't want to use your product because you're part of this program, according to this 41 slide presentation. And, you know, they're big companies that were named in this. Microsoft was the first one to officially join that program. I think something along the lines of like 2007, according to the presentation. But then you had Google, Apple, Facebook, YouTube. I mean, big companies that handle millions of people's information on a daily basis. And they were all named in this presentation. So uh, if they were compelled to be part of this, because it's it's by law, they have to, uh, but they can't talk about it, it puts them in a terrible position. And if it actually ends up being that their participation is not nearly as bad as what our imaginations have created, they want to be able to address that and say, just let us tell people that Yes, we're part of this program, but this is exactly what is going on and it's within these parameters and nothing outside of this is happening. So you are, you can, you can rest assured that your privacy is still safe. That's the message they want to send out, but they can't talk about it. Right. Not yet. Yeah. All, all we've got to go on is, is these leaked reports. Um, which, which it now seems like upon closer observation that, um, that actually the, the companies were setting up, um, secure servers or, or drop boxes to facilitate transfers between themselves and the NSA. Right. Not that, again, they have admitted to being part of it yet, because they can't. Um, uh, June 7th, the very next day, The Guardian reported that the um, UK, uh, the, the, the United Kingdom's um, government communications headquarters, um, which is which is their kind of NSA equivalent, was mm. also involved in PRISM and has been able to view private Internet user data since 2010. Yikes. Uh June 9th was when Snowden came out and said that he was the guy who leaked the stuff. Yep. Um, upon which lots, lots of, of bad news has been rained down upon him yeah, from the government yeah. because clearly they were not happy. No. On June 11th, a, um, a, a bill from bipartisan, I believe, members of Congress was submitted to, um, to declassify secret court opinions. Um, that, that drive prison surveillance. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually a revision of a bill from December of 2012. So this had been kicking around for a while, but, but people are, I mean, pe- people in Congress are listening to the, to, to what we are saying. Right. They, they are listening to our concerns and they, they want to do something and, about it. And you should keep in mind that the politicians involved 
even the ones who who object to this were also bound by the same uh, restrictions that other people were. They could not talk about it because it was secret. It was classified. So, you know, it's a frustrating situation all around when you have this secret court. In fact, there are a lot of people who have argued that the whole concept of a secret court is uh, a bad idea because it it breeds distrust. So even if everyone is behaving perfectly on the up and up, everyone is following all the rules and respecting as much of the, you know, as much as they can, uh, because it's secret, it, it just engenders this, this sense of mistrust. And that alone is enough to need us to, we need to address it. Uh, and like you said, you know, we talked about the FISA court and how many, uh, how many requests were denied. 11, 11 out, of, of, out of thousands of requests. About 3,400. So if you find out, was it 3,400 or 34,000? 34,000, sorry. I don't right. know numbers. So, so 11 out of 34,000 requests were denied, which makes, makes you wonder, oh, what's going on? Is, is it just that the requests are all that, that, that good, that watertight? They mm-hmm. are just that amazing? Or is it that the standards are really low? What was it about those 11 that made them, made them be denied? <laughs> so, uh, and that's the that's the thing is that it brings up these kind of conversations and no one can talk about them because they're classified. Right. So it is a, a really sticky situation. Um, as of June 23rd, uh, Snowden uh, under under attack from the United States. Um, you know, pe- uh, I, I think there were there were like warrants for treason out for his arrest. Yeah, there were treason is one of those tough things. But uh, there were some people who were, who were saying that maybe this can't count as treason because it's a very specific charge, but that he certainly broke U.S. law. At, that was and, beyond question. At any rate, he fled Hong Kong from Moscow, um, which is where he has been held up since um, in in like the airport and yeah. surrounding hotels, which is the airport is the, the area that he's in. The international zone is technically not Russian soil. It's kind of like when you go to an embassy and you're in a foreign country, but you go to the United States embassy, for example, somewhere, and then you are technically on U.S. soil while you're on the embassy uh, grounds. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. But you leave U.S. embassy grounds, you're back in the foreign yeah. nation. Yeah. Okay. So, so he's been hanging out there and petitioning various countries for asylum, um, none of which have really granted him asylum to yeah. his um, satisfaction. Ecuador was going to and then backed off. Yeah. Uh, some say that the the... Uh, President of Ecuador was kind of just trying to grandstand a little bit and and kind of tweak the nose of the United States. Actually, that's a great kind of funny little story in a way. So I'm paraphrasing here because, again, I didn't put this in my notes, but this is kind of the story. So the president (laughs) says that, you know, they're going to grant asylum to Snowden. And Snowden had actually petitioned Ecuador for asylum. And then there were people who were saying that if they were to do this, that the United States would revoke certain uh, beneficial trade agreements with Ecuador. And so what the president said was that he had uh, he, he negated those agreements. He said, all right, those agreements are gone. In fact, not only are those agreements are gone, I'm going to replace them with $23 million that Ecuador is going to give the United States so that the U.S. can research human rights issues. Ooh. Yeah. Which was, Snap. you know, essentially, right. yeah, it was essentially international burn. But, uh, <laughs> but since then he has backed away and Ecuador has, has kind of, uh, revoked its, its offer of asylum. And in the meantime, Snowden himself, uh, has had his international passport revoked. So he cannot travel. Wow. And yeah. he, he's not, you know, so now he's seeking asylum in Russia, but that's currently being held up in, in a lot of, uh, bureaucratic processes which anyone who has studied Russian politics will not be surprised by. 
Um, the <laughs> Russians and the United States, big fans of bureaucracy. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying Russia's alone in that. The U.S. certainly has more than its share, uh, as, as do a lot of nations. And, and that, that kind of sort of brings us up to, up to today-ish. Um, you know, right, right now, uh, there are a whole bunch of different people suing the U.S. government, um, mm. on, on grounds of illegal and unconstitutional programs that tread upon the Fourth Amendment rights of its people. Right. And again, this all has to be decided in court. It's not like there's just an automatic switch or anything. This <laughs> actually has to go through a process before it's, decided in an official capacity whether or not it is, in fact, unconstitutional. Of course. Um, as of July 18th, um, an, an alliance of, of 36 companies, investors, charities, and trade organizations, including um, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, wrote a letter to President Obama um, asking for permission to take the number of, um, of government requests for information about their users public. Right. To essentially say, like, this is why you don't need to worry, because the numbers that are in your head are totally different from the numbers that exist in reality. Right. And uh, might not really matter as we get further into this podcast, but it, it's an interesting <laughs> thing to say. Well, you know, it, it's a, a lot of these companies do report um, already report government requests for, right. for, for information. Sure. And there, um, there are companies like Twitter that said we are not playing ball with this. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people have praised Twitter because they have a very firm stance on this, saying unless you follow the specific rules that were laid out uh, and and to our satisfaction, we're not going to just hand over data. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. You know, it, again, it all depends upon the individual organization. Also, late breaking news as of the recording of this podcast. So in full disclosure, we're recording this podcast July 25th, 2013. Uh and today, the New York Times reported that the U.S. House of Representatives defeated legislation that would have blocked the NSA from collecting phone records. We'll talk more about the phone record program in a little bit. Uh, that was defeated at a vote of 217 to 205. So it was incredibly close. And it had weird coalitions on both sides that were bipartisan. So you had... You know, libertarians, Democrats and Republicans on one side and then essentially Democrats and Republicans on the other side, because all the libertarians, I think, sided against, <laughs> you know, cited, cited for the legislation. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it was eventually it was voted down. Yeah. Um, now, there still could be debate within the Senate. So we could still see movement on this in the United States government in the that uh, branch of, uh, of of government. But uh, the House of Representatives have already kind of uh, shot that down. And uh, also, there have been several politicians who have said that the sections in the Patriot Act that essentially allow for this to happen, they come up for renewal again in 2015, and that they feel that those sections will not be renewed based upon the uh, reaction that this this information has created, and that it would be very politically difficult to renew that. Now, they say that, but it's 2013 now. 2015 is a couple years away. You never know what can happen between now and then that could change people's minds. But uh, as of right now, they're saying that those those sections that have actually allowed for this to kind of happen, they have given the legal foundation for this, may not be renewed in a couple of years. Um, so that kind of brings us a little bit uh, up to the, the, the discussion of what these programs actually are. Right. So let's start going back a little bit again. Uh, there was a... A program started under George W. Bush called Stellar Wind. And Stellar Wind was really more of an umbrella term for uh, surveillance programs, specifically the surveillance programs Mainway, Marina, Nucleon, and Prism. 
now these are paired up. Mainway and Nucleon are both programs that involve telecommunications and phone records and, uh, and phone content, as it turns out. And Marina and Prism are internet communications. No, no, no. Technically, Stellar Wind, um, its cover was blown by William Binney a mm. couple years back. Right. And uh, it only continued until 2007. It was shut down. And then the actual programs underneath it still kept going. <laughs> so <laughs> so while, while the parent program was dismantled, the actual activities continued. Sure. Uh, so, for example, uh, the programs, the Mainway and Nucleon programs, the phone communication ones... Um, were well well first of all mainway was all about metadata and again we've talked about this metadata is that information about information so all the information about a phone call apart from the actual content of the call that was the the um, the main focus there and um it can like we said give a lot of information about the people involved in any communication even if you don't have the content now the justification for gathering this is that the US court systems have said repeatedly that metadata falls outside the information that the average U.S. citizen uh, can expect a reasonable have a reasonable expectation of privacy about. So, reasonable expectation of privacy involves everything like the actual communication that you would have with someone, but the fact that you talk to someone that you do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, according to several different court cases. Um, and the NSA said it only gathered metadata in the course of an investigation. But these rules are so vaguely defined, and there's that three-hop approach that we've talked about before. The three-hop approach is that uh, – actually, maybe we haven't mentioned this yet. The three-hop approach is this idea that you can target a person and then go one person out from the, your target, then go another person out, and then go another person out wow. when you when you are actually investigating the target. So sure. if you have identified a target as a foreign agent, you can then investigate everyone that foreign agent talked to. And then go move outward from there. So it's a ripple effect. Wow. Now, let's assume, just for a second, that uh, every single person has 40 unique contacts. So 40, 40 contacts that are that are not shared with the other people that they have contacted with. Uh, you know, we have closer to like 200 total, but a lot of those are going to be uh, duplicates, right? So if I have 40 unique contacts and each of them have 40 unique contacts... Three-hop analysis would end up looking at 2.5 million people. Because as you look at those 40 contacts, and they have 40 contacts. And oh, sure, 40, right, right. Yeah, no, two and no a half big. million. Uh-huh. So that has raised people to say, well, how can you suggest that you are having a targeted investigation if this rule allows you to look at two and a half million people, some of whom are undoubtedly American citizens in some of these cases? And uh, the NSA is like, oh. um, actually, they, they have their own reasons behind it. They say that they're being very responsible with this, but it does raise those questions. Now, again, this is meant to target those foreign agents with a 51% certainty that they are, in fact, not American citizens. Uh, and it looks like what the NSA is doing is gathering all this metadata and storing it. Now, there, the metadata on uh, both of these programs, on both Mainway and Marina, are, uh, you know, both the phone and the internet stuff. It's all being stored and it's being collected from everyone. That's what it looks like. Like, it's not just the foreign, it's not like they're targeting foreign targets and saying, 
Let's collect all their information. Let's, let's pick this one thread out and collect no. the, only that. It's everything, and then they pick the threads out of the everything. Yeah, what what once the, they have it. The way the uh, the way it's supposed to work, according to what I've read, is that they collect absolutely everything, all this metadata of both phone and internet communication, and then when they've identified a foreign target, they then provide do a search query on that target within all the information they've collected. So in other words, they're, they're doing searches on everything, but they don't, they don't look at everything. They just have it. Now, some people have said just by having it, just by collecting all this information about people, whether they're American citizens or not, means you're violating American citizens' Fourth Amendment rights. That, that is unreasonable search and seizure. It's at least seizure, if not search. And they're arguing, well, it's not search and seizure because all we're doing is Making sure we have access to it. It's, we it's, don't... it's not seizure because it is it is free to us to collect. So they're saying that yes, we have this information, but we're not doing anything with it until we have the actual authorization and the probable cause to right. go after it. Just because we are technically diverting this stream into a giant hard drive and hanging on to that hard drive does yeah. not mean that we are quote unquote seizing anything because we have not because we haven't looked at it. Yeah, that's kind of the that's what it boils down to. So then you have to go with does that argument hold water or not? Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, and some people have said that that's the wrong way to go about it. They should be getting the authorization and then going after all that data that's related to that authorization, but leave everything else alone. Uh, that might not be practical. And in fact, that yeah, might t- very well technically be technically the- that that would be a, a ridiculous undertaking, honestly. Yeah. And and it's not like data is color coded as it's running through the Internet tubes to yeah. to, to let you know these things. So but- most of these collection systems they have in place are creating databases based on keywords, like anything that's anything that's automatically detecting a keyword. And this includes actual phone conversations. When you get to Nucleon and Prism, that no longer is dealing just with metadata. That's actually dealing with content itself, the actual stuff that's going on in these communications. So you get these keyword databases that are created, and then you can search those. Uh, and again, the NSA says, yes, we have them, but we're not searching them, you know, without reason. We only search them after we've, we've established this, this, uh, probable cause, the authorization, et cetera under the secret court that you can't know about. Um, and so that's that's kind of where we are now. So Nucleon is the one with the phones. And again, they're actually able to sort out phone conversations based on keywords that are detected within those conversations and then store them. They're, they've built a uh, data center in, in Utah that is about a one and a half million square feet in size, which for those of you who have been to the Las Vegas Convention Center, that's about half the size of the Las Vegas Convention Center if you add up all the convention center space. Um, and that's that's huge. It's just filled with computers that are storing information. And, of course, we're generating more and more information every single day. Um, and uh, And in some cases, they have access to special lockdown rooms, like we've mentioned before, where they don't necessarily have to ask a provider for anything. They can just go into the lockdown room and then run the query. Again, they have to have the authorization to do this legally. Now, that that includes both uh, Nucleon and Prism, which cover those content. Uh, let's talk a little bit, just really briefly, kind of wrap this up and talk about some of the responses we've seen. I've got two specific ones I wanted to mention. Uh, responses to this information coming to light Keeping in mind that a lot of the politicians knew at least some of this already because they were on the committees that formed this stuff. 
but uh, were not able to really talk about it. Uh, Representative F. James Sensenbrenner, Jr., uh, who is a representative from Wisconsin. He's a Republican. He's also one of the architects of the Patriot Act, uh, said that uh, Congress intended the Patriot Act to allow the intelligence communities to access targeted information for specific investigations. Then he says, how can every call that every American makes or receives be relevant to a specific investigation? So again, he's asking that same question. Mm-hmm. How can you justify collecting everything um, and the NSA says, well, we don't consider the collecting part to be seizure. seizure. Like we don't it's on a server, but we're not doing anything with it. We're not searching it. Right. Uh, but there are other arguments that are being made. They're saying this is kind of a that's slippery slope. A, that's a technicality. And yeah. shut up. Right, yeah. right, like, <laughs> like, like what if you wanted to search it? You totally could. Right. I mean, and, whatever the legal the legal definition of shut up is, yeah. is, is what a lot of people are saying right yeah. now. Yeah. So. And there and there are people who are pointing out that yes, if you have someone who has that access, then they can take advantage of it. Right. Even if the NSA is doing everything on the up and up, if there's just one person who has that access, they could wreak havoc. You're sure, you yeah, know, absolutely. and uh, and so there's like, and if your response is, well, how could that happen? You point to Edward Snowden, <laughs> and you say it has happened. Snowden did it. Right. Now Snowden did it in a way that alerted us to this which for a lot of people means that he's a whistleblower. But that that's an example saying, here's someone who did an unauthorized access of that information. And Snowden had even said that uh, it would be possible for him to listen in on any phone call at all if he wanted to. Uh, and the NSA has said that it's not entirely true. You have to get the approval process. But there are others who say, well, what is that approval process? How how extensive is it? Does it just require you to go to someone and say, hey, can I listen on this call? They're sure that you could do it. <laughs> or is it really formal? Right, and we don't sure. really know all we the don't details. Know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like your last one to, to close us out with. I do have one from Obama. Um, uh, President Obama has, has said about the issue, um, I came in with a healthy skepticism about these programs. My team evaluated them. We scrubbed them thoroughly. We actually expanded some of the oversight and increased some of the safeguards. You can't have 100% security and also then have 100% privacy and zero inconvenience. Yeah, there were some founding fathers who had something to say about security and liberty, but I don't want to go into that. So, <laughs> but there, the, the, the last one, and yes, that's, that's, so that was the president's, uh, approach. And again, it may very well be that all of that is completely sincere and honest, but we just don't know because it's classified, right? Uh, and it, it kind of, and I, I was probably reading that more snarkily than than, pre- than the president said it. It sticks um, in my craw a little bit because one of the things I I specifically remember the Obama administration championing when they when when they first uh, came into uh, political power was that they were going to really focus on transparency in the government. Now you can argue that when it comes to intelligence, transparency is is, is off the books. It's counterproductive. Right. It is dangerous. But when you look at this information that's been revealed and you see the reaction, you can understand why transparency is also something that you, you have to at least consider. At least talk about here's here's the legal uh, procedure that we do and here's how we do it. That doesn't necessarily tell you anything about who's being targeted, although we've got plenty of nations out there who are now up in arms about this. And then... We wanted to end this. Uh, the, the former president, Jimmy Carter, said about Snowden, he said, he's obviously violated the laws of America for which he's responsible. But 
I think the invasion of human rights and American privacy has gone too far. I think that the secrecy that has been surrounding this invasion of privacy has been excessive. So I think that the bringing of it to the public notice has probably been, in the long term, beneficial. So in other words, he says Snowden's still responsible for his actions, and maybe he should be held accountable. That's not what he's arguing here. What he's arguing is that this is stuff that we kind of needed to know. And keep in mind, this is the same president who signed FISA into law. In the first place. Right. So that's an interesting thing to end on. Now, again, we have our own opinions about this. And obviously, I mean, you, you can tell what they are. It's not like we've been terribly subtle or uh, but that's not, you know, we're not trying to, to we've, be. We've not been nearly as secretive as the NSA. <laughs> and, Sorry. <laughs> and, and, it, and again, it may turn out, like, I'm trying to keep as open a mind about this as possible. Sure, of uh, course. But it's just that a lot of warning flags have been raised yeah. because of this. No, and, and national security is, is certainly extraordinarily important all the time. Yeah. So it's not that it's not that we are going to say that we know better than anybody else. No. Obviously, that's not the case. Uh, it, mostly what we want is just more information because uh, it is very easy to come to the wrong conclusion when you don't have enough. And I am fully aware of that. But it, it does raise some concerns. And I'm glad that there are people who are looking into it and and really examining this and making sure that this that the NSA's approach is, in fact, the best one to do uh, as opposed to some alternative and uh, and so, you know, whether you think Snowden is a hero or a villain, uh, personally, I kind of just I don't really think of him as either. I think of him as a human being who acted on uh, his own principles, which were not in alignment with the principles of his contractual employer. Um, that sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we have uh, that's why things like WikiLeaks even exist, because if there weren't people like that, then there'd be no leaked information. I, I, I agree with with former President Carter. Yeah, I, on that I, one, on I that agree specific with them thing. <laughs> so we're wrapping this up, guys. If you have suggestions for future topics, we do plan on eventually covering topics like the actual technical approaches to things like wiretapping and this prism approach. How, how might uh, NSA gather data without even approaching a major company? There are some kind of tricky things they might do. Um, but we'll talk about that in another episode uh, and we'll break it up. We're going to do something fun next time. So robot puppies, robot puppies, robot puppies. Yeah, more Tamagotchi. Uh, so we're wrapping this up. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please get in contact with us. We can be contacted at the email address techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. You can find us there. Techstuff HSW and Lauren and I will talk to you again. Really? <laughs> For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 